0: Open your Bibles with me to Haggai, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the third book from the end of your Old Testaments. Haggai and Zechariah were two prophets God raised up in order to stir up the Jews, the 45,000 Jews that came back from Babylon to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple after 70 years in captivity in Babylon. This is one of my favorite prophecies. I want to encourage all of you to have your favorite prophets and your favorite prophecies. Let me share this one with you. I've preached it before. I just want to focus on verses 6 through 9 of chapter 2. These people came back. They staked out their new temple. It was so small and so pitiful looking. They had no money. There were old men there that could remember Solomon's temple in all of its splendor. All of its marble. All of its gold because of David's gathering for that thing, there were old men that as boys had seen Solomon's temple, and they saw this thing, and they were discouraged. And these two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, God sent to stir them up, to encourage them. And here are the words. Haggai 2, six. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. This is a prophecy. Most Christians today don't believe this prophecy has been fulfilled yet. This prophecy was fulfilled 2,000 years ago. The apostle Paul said it was fulfilled 2,000 years ago in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 26 through 29. You can tell that it was fulfilled simply by reading it. There are two houses under consideration, meaning two temples of God, one Is the former house and one is the latter house. What was the former house? Solomon's. What was the latter house? This one that they were building under Zerubbabel. And I'm going to fill this latter house with glory. He said, "The Lord is saying, I don't need silver and I don't need gold. I own it all anyway. But I'm going to put something in this latter house that's going to give it glory. And that that thing that." person that he's going to put in this latter house is described here as the desire of all nations. Do you want to take a guess on who that is? That is the Lord Jesus Christ coming to Zerubbabel's temple. This temple built by Zerubbabel, Jesus came to it. He came to it as an 8-day-old baby. He came to it as a 12-year-old. He came to it as a 30-year-old. And when he was 33 and a half years old, he died on the cross and said, It is finished. And in this house, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom because he had made peace in this place, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. Now... The shaking of the heaven and the earth. That's just there to throw people off. If you want to be a literalist, like the futurists are. The shaking of the heaven and the earth, the sea and the dry land, is turning religious things upside down. That language is simply used to say that the Old Testament way of things is going to be shaken away to leave something that is going to last forever, and that is the kingdom of God as we know it right now, the way that we're worshiping Jesus Christ right now. It's not going to change. When we get to heaven, we're going to sing the same thing. I heard an old, old story about a Savior in glory. We're going to sing victory in Jesus there. We're singing it now. This is the last dispensation. We live in the last times. That's a prophecy. You know what? Futurists come along and say, it says God's going to shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land, and they haven't been shaken yet. So this prophecy hasn't occurred. That's because they're literalists instead of looking for the metaphorical sign language. You know where I'm going now, don't you? First Peter 1.11 says that the prophets used signs. Right. This isn't literal. This is shaking the religious world upside down. The Apostle Paul applied it exactly to shaking away the old covenant and leaving what is left that will never change, and that is the new covenant of the everlasting covenant of God's saving grace in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now come back to Daniel. Back a number 50 pages or depending on your Bible to Daniel chapter 9, and let's remind ourselves of Daniel. This is, another, this is a fabulous prophecy. Why do I love... He- Haggai 2, 6-9 so much? Because of the glory that God put in the latter house and it wasn't gold and it wasn't silver. Right. And brethren, it doesn't matter how little and small and insignificant this little meeting place is and how people can drive by it on the road and not be impressed at all by our building. But when we come in here and we sing like we just sang, let's fill this house with glory about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he, he sees it all. And there are angels stuffed all around us in here. We can't see them with the natural eye. We sang that they're here. They're desiring to look into these things because they can't believe that people like us are the sons of God. We are. Angels, we're thankful that you protect us and that you're with us and that you're our servants and that you love the Lord and that when He says something, you immediately go and do it. We hope that we are as obedient to Him as you are to Him. Amen. Daniel chapter 9. Look at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. That means Babylon's been overthrown. And Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian have taken the kingdom. Verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, and if you were to go on and read, you would read one fabulous prayer that Daniel made. And we can come over to verse 21. One, yea, whiles I was speaking in prayer. This is Daniel speaking in prayer. Even the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly, swiftly touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Oh, let's be that way. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Daniel is praying for details and timing. He wants to know about this prophecy that Jeremiah had made. And look what he gets. Verse 24, 70 weeks, this is a specifically timed prophecy. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, that's the Jews, and upon thy holy city, that's Jerusalem. Number one, to finish the transgression The Jews would finish the transgression by killing the Lord Jesus Christ. Two, and to make an end of sins, Jesus would put away sins. Three, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, Jesus would reconcile us to God in spite of our sins. Four, and bring in everlasting righteousness, which Jesus did that we have forever clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Five, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, To seal it up and hide it from the Jews. Just like Jesus spoke in parables in Matthew chapter 13, 6. And to anoint the most holy. That's the Lord Jesus Christ when he was anointed at his baptism by the Holy Ghost. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. That is 69 weeks of years. That is 483 years. Until the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized by John the Baptist, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times, and we don't need to read further. Well, yes, we do. We shall. <laughs> After three score and two weeks, that's really 69 weeks because the seven weeks comes in front of it, shall Messiah be cut off, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, being killed prematurely, but not for himself, because he was killed for us. Amen. And the people of the prince that shall come, that's the Romans under the prince Titus, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. It will be an overwhelming war, and under the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, three and a half year ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, because he said, it is finished. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, that is Jerusalem, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. He wrecked that nation for crucifying him. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 with those two prophecies under our mental belts. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10, of which salvation? The prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Jesus Christ came to this generation of these scattered strangers. Daniel inquired. Daniel searched diligently. He said it was by books. Do you know the books? The book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah for sure. The book of Second Chronicles. Oh yes, they talk about the 70 years that the Jews would be captive in Babylon. But we come down to who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify? Searching what? See, that searching is appealing back to verse 10, where it said that these prophets inquired. That means they asked and they searched diligently. And here are the two things they wanted to know. Details and timing. Searching what? What exactly is going to happen? What is it going to be like? They wanted details and the manner of time. They wanted to know the timing of these events. That's what Daniel got. He got a beautiful answer. 483 years will bring us to the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another three and a half year ministry. He's going to be cut off, not for himself, but for us. And he'll cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease as having any value or profit with God, it was over. And because of the abominations of that nation crucifying him, he brought Titus in, the prince of the people, the Romans that came and destroyed that city. Searching what or what manner of time? I listed six blessings in Daniel 9.24 that came through the Lord Jesus Christ and that it took those 70 weeks of years to get us to them. So there was an answer. The Spirit of Christ which was in them, did signify. But now notice, why doesn't it say 490 years, 483 years? Why doesn't it say that? Because it was by sign language. It was 70 weeks of years. It was to mess people up that don't want to read the Bible correctly. Just like Jesus spoke in parables to mess people up that don't have the right attitude about the truth of God. Why does it say He's going to shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land in Haggai chapter 2 when there hasn't been such a literal shaking. Because they spoke in sign language. They spoke in word pictures. The prophets of God did not speak literally. They did not speak expressly. They used metaphorical language. They used symbolic language. And the Bible tells us that in five places. And I don't have time to take you to all of them, but this is one of them right here in verse 11 when it says that these prophets, after searching for details and searching for timing, the Spirit of Christ which was in them signified things about this era that we live in. Signified things about Jesus Christ. Signified things about the gospel. Signified things about heaven. But the word signified, can you guess what the first four letters are of the verb to signify? Can you guess? Might it be S-I-G-N? Because it's a sign. It's not express. It's not literal. It's sign language. And these dispensationalists and premillennialists, they require that every Old Testament prophecy must be understood literally. And thus they confound and confuse the testimony of God's prophets and they make God a liar because God said they spoke by signs. And it says so right here in 1 Peter 1.11. How does the book of Revelation start with? You get into Revelation and you have all these word pictures describing all sorts of things. You've got this garishly dressed prostitute riding upon this red dragon that's got seven heads and ten horns and she's got this golden chalice in her hand. Come on! Are you waiting for that to literally happen? Nope. Revelation 1.1 1, 1, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass and He sent and life. life is good. Amen. He signified it by His angel unto His servant John. It's by sign language. One more. Hosea chapter 12. There's a man in the front row on the right-hand side that got to travel around the other side of the earth and preach this stuff recently. Hosea chapter 12 and verse 10. Look at this verse is so special. I can still remember when I was first shown this verse and got so excited because it just destroys the literal hermeneutic of futurists. Futurists are left behind junk. Futurists are Tim LaHaye. Futurists are uh, Hal Lindsey. Futurists are uh, Jack Van Empey, John Hagee, and the others that want to take everything literally when the Bible expressly tells us. It expressly tells us that they didn't speak expressly. Right. Watch Hosea twelve ten. I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes. By the ministry of the prophets. Now, that's an express verse. That is declaring things very clearly and plainly that God's prophets don't speak clearly and plainly. God's prophets use similitudes. Now, what are the first few letters of the word similitude? Simile. A simile is a comparison. It's not the real thing. It's a word picture. It uses the words as or like. I am hungry as a bear. He runs like a deer. As and like are in there. It's a comparison. You know, you've got this, you've got this hungry bear in your mind eating some little child. No, let's not say that. In a in a garbage dump eating, and you've got this deer running in your mind. You see these pictures, and that's what the Bible does. We believe it. Amen. We believe it. Let's go back to 1 Peter 1 11. You know, when the Bible says the lion's gonna lie down with the lamb, we don't go to the zoo. and and tell the zookeeper that Jesus is coming back soon. He's going to take down these bars. Jesus is going to get rid of lions and bears and tigers as we know them and give us all new kinds that are very different. But that isn't the issue of Isaiah chapter 11 when it says, the lion's going to lie down with the lamb. That means that uh, you and I are in the same church together. You just go ahead and pick whether you're the lion or the lamb. That's what it means. Jesus is going to make a great change by the Gospel. Isaiah 11 is about the Gospel era of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had Peter and Mary Magdalene and John and James, sons of thunder. They're all sitting together, having communion together, in the same church together, taking care of widows together. But oh, you know, all the Bible story books have got to have lions and lambs because everything's got to be literal. But uh, we, we were working over the word signify here in 1st Peter 2:11 searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify one thing you want to know about the prophets they had the spirit of Christ in them and this is i'll make this point very quickly i want you to know that the holy spirit of god is called at least 3 times in the new testament the spirit of christ proving that christ is god right here the spirit of christ now, the Lord Jesus Christ had his own human spirit. When Jesus was on the cross and he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he was not committing the Holy Spirit to God. He was committing his human spirit because his human spirit left his human body and his human body was laid to sleep in the ground for three days and three nights. Then that human spirit of Jesus came back from heaven, rejoined that body, and he was put back together. And that human body and human spirit are in heaven at this very moment glorified together forever. That is exactly what's going to happen with you and me. If we die and are buried in the ground, them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. The body is in the ground. The spirit is with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says, The spirits of just men made perfect are already in heaven. Those spirits will come, join those bodies, be glorified together, and we shall be with the Lord. Jesus died for our bodies. He's going to change our bodies drastically, but He died for our bodies. He died for our spirits. We're going to be put back together again. I just want you, I just wanted you to think for a moment about the words here. The Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. Now, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, had a beginning 2,000 years ago when He was born of the Virgin Mary. That's when the angel told Mary, the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called The Son of God. Because before that moment, there was a divine person named the Word of God, and that Word became flesh. And when that Word became flesh, He was named Jesus of Nazareth. If I ask you, who is the Son of God? You should answer and say, Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Because that's the holy thing that was born of Mary. But it's the Spirit of Christ. Because Jesus Christ in His divine nature is in the Trinity with the Father and the Spirit, as 1 John 5, 7 teaches us. Right. Which was in them did signify. A prophet without the Holy Spirit of God has no value. It's when God the Holy Spirit would come upon a man that would bless him in the Old Testament to be able to give the will of God. In the New Testament, it's different. The Holy Spirit was given by God to Jesus Christ who gave it to his apostles. And Jesus told his apostles, when I, when, when I leave, I'm going to send a comforter talking to his apostles They had a ministry of the Holy Spirit that we don't have. He dwells with us forever. He's inside us. He is the seal. He is the earnest of of our redemption and of our eternal inheritance. He is the down payment. He is the performance guarantee that God is going to completely save us to the uttermost before this is all wrapped up. But Jesus gave the Spirit to his apostles and said, he will cause you to remember all things whatsoever I have spoken unto you, so that they were able to write down pure doctrine without overlooking or missing a single thing. That does not apply to you and me, because I want to tell you something. I can forget things that Jesus spoke and wrote, and that was written down in the Bible faster than you think. But you're a little faster than me. Isn't that true? That we forget those things, but Jesus, by giving the Spirit to the apostles, brought everything to their remembrance. All things whatsoever I have spoken unto you. So, the Spirit of Christ has to, had to be in the Old Testament prophets, but he would only come at times. He was in the New Testament apostles, but they always had him. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them, that is the Old Testament prophets, did signify when it testified beforehand. It is the Holy Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, testifying through the Old Testament prophets beforehand. This is true prophecy. The sense that we ordinarily use for the word prophecy is to foretell things that will happen in the future. So it's, it's got the word beforehand. So before the cross, things were told about the cross. Before the Lord comes a second time, and before the glory that was given to Jesus in heaven, it was told by these Old Testament prophets by the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ. We do not want anything that is not by the inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's why we trust the Bible. We don't care about visions. We don't care about prophets. Don't come and tell me about your vision. I'm going to ask you two questions. Number one, what did you eat last night? Number two, have you been messing around with a Ouija board? Don't tell me about your visions. Visions are gone. Prophets are gone. Their prophecies are gone. We have the more sure word of prophecy. Don't tell me about God speaking to you in the night unless it matches up perfectly with the Bible and I see you doing it. And then I'm going to say, you didn't need the vision. Because you just showed it to me in print. Because that's why Peter said in 2 Peter 1, and now I sound very harsh against visions, but in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, Moses, Elijah, James, uh, James, uh, and John. He had a couple of earthly witnesses. He had a couple of heavenly witnesses. And God spoke from heaven. And in 2 Peter 1.16, Peter said, We heard his voice. But then he says in verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Right. This Bible is more sure than hearing God's voice in the presence of Jesus, Moses, Elijah, and three apostles. Right. Amen. Because if you come and tell me, I was. I went up Paris Mountain yesterday. And while I was up there, I heard God's voice from heaven. I'm going to have these kind of questions. Are you sure that's what he said? Are you sure that's what he meant? But see, we've got it written down in the Bible. The Bible is better than all that. And all that went away. That's why this is called the more sure word of prophecy. And it comes by the inspiration of God. Look at Psalm 45 to see how it actually takes place. Psalm 45 tells us, when David wrote one fabulous psalm about Jesus Christ as a majestic, glorious prince, king, with a sword on his side, destroying his enemies, and marrying this beautiful bride, and greatly desiring her, and it's all about, it's a love song. It's a love psalm. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a short summary of the Song of Solomon. It's about Jesus Christ's love for his church. Psalm 45. if If you've got an introduction above the psalm, up at the very top, in very small print, it's going to say a song of loves. Now this is how this is how it got out of the pen of David. Verse one: My heart is inditing a good matter. The word inditing, a synonym for it, is dictating. My heart is dictating a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. I'm talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ that I'm describing right here in Psalm 45. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. God took hold of David's heart and dictated to him things that he could speak to someone else to write down or he could write. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Words are flowing out of me from God getting a hold of my heart and dictating things to me about King Jesus. That's how it happens. And if you, tear up, if you tear up the Word of God, then Jeremiah tells us how it's replaced. Remember? They say, how'd you get that back? We just burned it in the fireplace. This is in the book of Jeremiah. And Baruch said, well, Jeremiah said the words, and I wrote it down with a pen and ink on paper. Is that complicated? Isn't that wonderful? That's how we got the Bible. And God's preserved that, this thing to us. And this book that you hold in your hands tells us things that the world does not know about, the world doesn't believe. This universe is about to be turned upside down on its ear and they're all going to stand before the God of glory and they're going to give honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every tongue shall confess that He is Lord, the glory of God, the Father, every knee shall bow. They will all give an account for their lives and we're going to be there as the sons of God judging with the Lord Jesus Christ on white horses. He's on the white horse out in front. Revelation 19 says that we're all on white horses with Him and we will judge angels. Praise the Lord. Amen. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? It's true. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Yes. Our Lord and Redeemer, Amen. Jesus of Nazareth can come out of Nazareth. First Peter 1:11 when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. Are there any Old Testament prophecies by those Old Testament prophets that had the spirit of Christ in them? They had the spirit of God in them about the sufferings of Christ? Psalm 22. Is Psalm 22 about his sufferings? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Pretty, pretty accurate, isn't it? Yep. It's almost like it was written after the fact and somebody slapped the name of David on it and stuck it back a thousand years. B.C., isn't it? Psalm 22. Psalm 16. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Yep. Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yep. Isaiah 52. He'll be marred more than any man. Isaiah 50, they plucked out my beard. Psalm 69, my familiar friend that that ate bread with me. Old Testament prophecies about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory that should follow. Turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8, and the glory that should follow. Who got the glory first? There's a first fruits of all glory giving, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ got it first. Psalm 8, this is just one place that we could go. When it says in Psalm 16 that there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God, that's the glory given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sufferings first, glory second. Do you want to receive the glory of God that when suffering comes into your life, you should cheerfully bear it because the Lord Jesus Christ cheerfully bore it. And that appeal is made throughout the New Testament Scriptures that we should be able to cheerfully bear suffering because Jesus did it before us. He suffered, is now glorified. If we suffer, we shall be glorified with Him. Do you know where it brings that up that I've used the most times in my life? It's 1 Peter chapter 2 that we're going to get to. The last seven verses of that chapter talk about the work that you do on the job. If you have a boss that's a froward boss and he abuses you, misuses you, doesn't keep his promises to you, makes your job a miserable place to work, you have one right you can quit. But while you're there, you ought to submit to him and be cheerful about it because... Peter is going to bring in the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, that when he was reviled, he didn't revile again. When he was threatened, he didn't. He was like a lamb going to the slaughter, and that's the way we ought to be on the job as Christians. Right. There's such a good example in the Bible of suffering. Jesus suffered, is now glorified. If we suffer in this short, little, tiny 70-year life, we'll be glorified. Where do you think Benjamin and William are, the two martyrs that we've heard about today and last Sunday? They're in heaven. They don't have their glorified bodies yet, but how close do you think they are to the throne of God? What does the Bible tell us? They are under the throne of God. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, they are under the throne of God. Psalm 8, about the glory that should follow. Let me start at the first verse. I'm playing with you just a little bit. I want to start at the first verse. O Lord, our Lord... How excellent is thy name in all the earth! Exclamation point. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. You know that's quoted in the New Testament. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the Son of Man... That thou visitest him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. What's it talking about? Is that talking about us making ships that can go on the seas and making Apollos that can go to the moon? Is this talking about zookeepers that are able to? Have all sheep and oxen domesticated in verse 7 and the beasts of the field? What is this, being crowned with glory and honor in the last part of verse 5, and having dominion over the works of God's hands in verse 6, and all things under His feet? Do we have all things under our feet? No, No, we don't. So the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 2 quotes this passage of Scripture. He quotes this passage of Scripture and says, Do we see all things under the feet of man? No. Verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was crowned with glory and honor. Verse 5, and all things are under his feet. Listen, when when you read Psalm 8, we've had men get up in this church over the last 30 years and read Psalm 8 and miss it. And that's okay. That's okay. Do you know what the Ethiopian eunuch did when he was in Isaiah 53? He missed it. He didn't know if Isaiah was talking about himself or some other man, because we need someone from the New Testament to guide us in. And now I can I can show you from Hebrews chapter two, but if we didn't have the book of Hebrews, would you understand what Psalm 8, verses 5 and 6 was talking about? Back to 1 Peter chapter 1. The sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. See the glory he was crowned with glory and honor. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor at the right hand of the majesty on high. They signified these things. They testified these things beforehand about the sufferings of Christ. What's your favorite place in the Old Testament about the sufferings of Christ even before He came and suffered? Is it Isaiah 53? I know that some of you love Isaiah 53. Some of you love Psalm 22. You should know these things. These, These passages of Scripture are what this verse is talking about right here. They testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ by the inspiration of this Spirit of Christ which was in them, telling them this is what's going to happen to the Lord Jesus Christ in the future. Verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed. who The whom in this first phrase of verse 12. Unto whom. That's the Old Testament prophets. Unto whom it was revealed. God told them something. That not unto themselves... But unto us. Now, my favorite, don't, don't let me say that one. I love the words in verse 12, but unto us. They are exciting words. Mm -hmm. Those Old Testament prophets that verse 10 said they asked, they inquired and searched diligently. They prophesied, they did their jobs faithfully about the grace that should come unto you, meaning this generation that Paul, that Peter addressed, They searched, verse 11, for details. They searched for timing. They had the Spirit of Christ in them, signifying things to them. They testified in advance the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. But God told them that the things they were writing down were not for them, but for us. Were not for them, but for us. Flip back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Not for them, but for us. Now we're talking about some pretty great men. Abraham? Did he walk with God? Is Moses compared to Jesus Christ? Moses was a great man. We're talking about David. We're talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We are talking about Enoch. We are talking about the prophets of God. God told them, it was revealed unto them, that the things that they were testifying, and the things they were signifying, and the things they were writing down... We're not for them, but for us. Do you know what? It, how kind of what kind of encouragement that was to these strangers scattered abroad that were suffering as third class citizens to find out that they are blessed by God above Abraham. <clears throat> watch this. I don't have any secrets for you. God has some wonderful little things in His Word for you. When I say watch this, it's to watch God's Word. Watch this. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. We've got the pro football hall of fame. We've got Cooperstown. We've got halls of fame in this country for athletes. The hall of faith is Hebrews 11, where it starts off with Abel and works forward. And it is a wonderful chapter. You should all be familiar with it. And verse 2 says, For by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good report. The elders of the Jewish nation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Noah, Abel, all those great men, David, Samson, and so forth, obtained a good report for what they did by faith. Yes, I'm building the case. They obtained a good report. The greatest heroes of the Jewish nation obtained a good report card. God wrote the report card. God wrote it in Hebrews chapter 11. Now come to the last two verses of this chapter with me. Hebrews 11:39. 39. And these all, and these all, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Samson, David, Jephthah, Gideon, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, that's repeating verse 2, receive not the promise. Did they get saved? Yes. Are they in heaven? Yes. But they did not get the promise of the seed of Abraham to ever see him or the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ to ever be part of it. They did not receive the promise. God, listen, brethren, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Those though, those that though they were the greatest heroes of the faith, without us they were incomplete. God having provided some better thing for us that we would see and hear and know and have in writing the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Amen. I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. Amen. Okay. Wow, I ju- brethren, those, these are the greatest men of the three quarters of your Bibles. The Old Testament, right. the greatest men of the Old Testament are pulled out and put in a list in Hebrews chapter eleven, and it says, "God, having provided some better thing for us, who's going to get excited with me about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and live it this week?" Who's going to get excited about the Word of God and read? Listen, you don't have to read all of Hebrews 11. Just read the last two verses. Read verse 2. Read verses 39 and 40. These are wonderful verses to encourage us on. Can you imagine being a third-class persecuted citizen out there in the middle of Turkey, far away from Jerusalem, your home country of Israel, and you have heaviness lying upon you, and Peter comes along and says, Oh, yeah. Those prophets that testified and signified things about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, it wasn't for them. It was for us. Right. That would encourage them, wouldn't it? Yeah. First Peter one twelve: God, having provided some better thing for us, yeah. has God advantaged you over Abraham? Yeah. David? Yeah. You, you know how much I love David. Are we advantaged over David? Yeah. Now at break time I was talking to my triple brother and David and Job and the others are now in heaven where they can see the Lord Jesus Christ with the eyes of their spirit. Their bodies are not yet glorified because their bodies are still in the ground. But uh, the Lord's given them a little bit of taste ahead of time because they're they're out there with the Lord Jesus Christ right now. But it didn't happen during their lifetimes on earth. They only obscurely saw the future. We see things so clearly and so plainly because God has provided some better thing for right. us because we were born in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. That is why my first thanksgiving today for our prayer time was, we are on this side of the cross. Right. Amen. First Peter 1.12, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things that is what they wrote in the Old Testament. How did they minister them? They testified them, verse 11. They signified them, verse 11. They prophesied them, verse 10. Okay? I've got to hurry up and finish. But unto us they did minister the things. That's the things of the gospel told in advance by Old Testament prophets through signifying, prophesying, and testifying, which are now those things are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. The Holy Ghost is now permanently on earth. The Holy Ghost having been poured out in the day of Pentecost, arriving upon the apostles and filling them with power, might, and understanding. And now those apostles are reporting the things that were obscurely foretold by the Old Testament prophets because the apostles were eyewitnesses of his suffering on the cross. They were eyewitnesses of his miracles. They were eyewitnesses of the effusion of the Holy Spirit. They were eyewitnesses of the Spirit descending upon the Lord Jesus Christ. They were eyewitnesses of Him raising the dead. They were eyewitnesses of the veil being torn in the temple. They were eyewitnesses of the tombs being torn open. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. They were eyewitnesses of Gentiles being converted and God blessing His church with glory because Christ was glorified in heaven. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, Peter went forth and preached. Those apostles went and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, signs following, and the enemies of the the gospel said the world was turned upside down. They got to report it. David would obscurely write, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me by prophecy? God gripped his heart The words filled his mind and they flew out of his mouth for someone to write down or for him to write with a pen. Psalm 22. My God, my God. Very obscure to him as to what that was, but along comes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and report it because they saw it and they heard it. They were reporters. Do you understand the glory that we have being on this side of the cross and having the New Testament? The New Testament is a report of the fulfillment of the things obscurely foretold by the Old Testament prophets. The gospel is reporters that were eyewitnesses telling us what happened and what it was like. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. Those people didn't need to move that were in the middle of Turkey to get back to Jerusalem, did they? They had something better than Jerusalem had ever had. And you have something that's better than Jerusalem has ever had. Do you know why we haven't had a Holy Land tour yet? Do you really want to know why we haven't had a Holy Land tour yet? Do you really want to know why? Because you haven't died with me yet. <laughs> the only Holy Land that we're ever going to go to is in heaven and we've got to do something to get there. We've got to die. Who in the world wants to go over to that little bug-infested piece of sand at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea? Listen, all you got to do is be standing around waiting for the next rocket to come in. What misery with with the number one Christ-haters on earth? God's forsaken that place. Why haven't we in our mind? We have in this church, but... Why hasn't why John Hagee, every time the prime minister of Israel comes to America, he puts him in the pulpit. Why don't we put Lucifer in the pulpit? We are so blessed. We're going to take a Holy Land tour soon. Oh, yeah. Who do you want for your guide? Who's going to get there first? Then they can be our guide. I'm not, listen, if our hearts were right. right. We've got some guides already there, don't we? Right, yes. amen. Mom, you want to show me around? Have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Do you understand that whole long clause? I know it's long. On the day of Pentecost, God poured out the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. They understood things perfectly now. They were filled with power and might. They preached the gospel, which was to report eyewitness accounts of seeing the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, how he had died on the cross, the miracles that he had done in order to confirm the things obscurely told by the Old Testament prophets. Which things? The things the Old Testament prophets obscurely foretold, the things that were reported by the apostles, those things the angels desire to look into. What are those? I'll just give you a little list of things. This is one of the painful parts of studying. The incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. His virgin birth. His abuse by enemies. These are things the angels could not comprehend and wanted to look into and understand better. That God would condescend to be born by a human mother. And the Bible tells us that birth by a human mother is the same way that asses, colts are born. Right. I mean no disrespect to any women more than the Bible says. It's not the prettiest sight in the world. The incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, his virgin birth, abuse by enemies, substitutionary death for enemies, God's love of enemies, grace and mercy beyond degree, the forgiveness of sins, the burial of the Son of God, the resurrection of the Son of God, his ascension into heaven, crowned with glory in heaven and promoted over them, the adoption of human boys and girls, men and women to be the sons of God, seen in the will of God to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ, getting glorified bodies, and being in the inner circle around God's throne, inside the angels, and promoted over them. Those are things they desire to look into. They can't believe it. As Brother Newell mentioned this morning, based on one of the songs that we were going to sing the Lord Jesus Christ and God in his grace and mercy passed over the angels and did not provide a Savior or a Redeemer for them, but has reserved them in chains unto everlasting torment. The Bible says about the lake of fire, it was prepared for the devil and his angels. They sinned. I will be like the Most High. He sinned in pride, the Bible says about the devil in First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, and he is forever in chains to be tormented. They absolutely know that their torment is coming. When devil-possessed men would meet the Lord Jesus Christ, they'd fall on their faces before the Lord Jesus, even in his state of humility on earth, and say, We know thee who thou art. Thou art the Holy One of God. Art thou come to torment us before the time? They know exactly where they're going. Those angels were never given a Redeemer. God passed over them and sent a Redeemer for you and for me. The angels desire to look in to these things. These things of the gospel. These are the holy and elect angels because Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 says they are the principalities and powers in heavenly places that are benefiting from these things. The devil and his angels don't care about these things. They know they're cut out. They don't care when they fell at the feet of Jesus. They didn't praise Him. They didn't thank Him for the things that He had done, for the wisdom displayed in the redemption of mankind. All they could think about was they're going to be tormented someday. These are the holy and elect angels. They were elected because God chose to keep them from ever falling And they're holy because they're perpetually preserved in a state of holiness in heaven, always keeping the commandments of God. They love Jesus Christ and the gospel. Brethren, the Bible, they're they're our servants. As Hebrews chapter 1 teaches us, the holy and elect angels have a desire toward these things to fully comprehend God's grace because there was no grace shown to their race of angels that sinned. They were cast out of heaven, and the devil was cast out with them. The highest angelic being that God ever created was cast out of heaven. There was a war in heaven, Revelation chapter 12, and he was thrown out. Jesus said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That's three different passages of Scripture where the Bible tells us that the devil was cast out of heaven. They are actively and extensively involved with the Lord Jesus Christ. When Nathaniel meant the Lord Jesus, Jesus said to him, Do you believe because I saw you under the fig tree over there a mile away? You think that's something special? You're going to see a whole lot more than that. You're going to see the angels of heaven ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. When Jesus was born one night in Bethlehem, what happened to the skies over Judea where the shepherds were gathered with their flocks at night? Was that sky ripped open and there was a heavenly choir that came and blasted that countryside? With praise of a little baby that was born in Bethlehem, where the parents didn't have enough money to get a room. There's always a room in the inn for somebody with enough money. They had to go to the stable and lay that baby in a manger, but the sky was ripped open by angels. Angels have always accompanied the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, there were angels strengthening him. When he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, there were angels strengthening him. And when, his, when that stone was rolled away and the women got there first, there were angels there to testify he isn't here, just like he said he's risen. When the apostles were looking up into heaven after Jesus ascended, angels came and spoke to them, Why are you looking up into heaven, ye men of Galilee? He's coming back again. 1 Timothy 3.16 Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Scene of angels. How big's the choir that's around the throne of God, singing worthy is the Lamb, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. They desire to look into these things, but we're in the inner circle on the inside of them where the four and twenty elders are seated and the four beasts are inside those angels because we're the redeemed children of God. Brethren, the angels desire to look into these things. Do you desire to look into them? The angels don't have a part or interest in these things because the grace of God was toward us. Do you appreciate the grace of God toward you? The angels desire to look into it. What does the Bible tell us happens in heaven when one sinner on earth repents? You have got to be kidding me. One sinner on earth repents and the angels in heaven rejoice? They have never seen repentance. No devil has ever repented. They have never seen repentance. If God peradventure will grant them repentance, and that's talking about you and me when we once opposed ourselves, God grants repentance and they celebrate in heaven. We should celebrate for everyone that ever repents from even one sin. It's by the grace of God. There isn't one devil in the history of this world that has ever repented of one sin. They rejoice in heaven. There are servants. If prophets and righteous men have desired to see and hear these things, we should. If angels desire to look into these things, we should. How important are these things of the gospel to you? Have these three verses helped prepare you, along with the nine that went before, that no matter what God sends your way with a little bit of suffering, you're going to be able to endure it because God has some better thing for you? And you know the Lord Jesus Christ because you're on this side of the cross. The angels desire to look into these things, they're all around us right now. They know exactly what I said is true. They're elect, and we're elect but were elect to be the sons of God by predestinated adoption. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, made acceptable to God through his beloved. They have no such blessing. In, in the ones that fell. That's First Peter 1, 10 through 12. I'm sorry I didn't do it justice, but I'll tell you, if you'll read it and you'll meditate on it and you'll get down on your knees and say, Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And you'll meditate on these words and think about them. They are glorious statements. We come into this little building on Sunday so that we might hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is eyewitness reporters that put their eyewitness reports down in writing for us to see the fulfillment of Old Testament prophets. And it talks about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. He was immediately glorified and we are about to be glorified. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word on all those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.